Hello, and welcome back to Sinister Sisters. Hello. It is I, Shrimp, and it is you, Cat. And we are your hosts. Today on Sinister Sisters, it is my episode. It's a true crime Woo. Sunday. Yeah. That was like a, aggressively enthusiastic. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, today, we are talking about Dr. Harold Shipman, who is also okay. known as Dr. Death, mm. and he is one of the most prolific serial killers ever, like, that we know of in, like, recorded times, Yeah, and is the reason why doctor's offices have um, more than one person working there. And also why certain questions are asked on death certificates in the United Kingdom. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so before we get into that, we have to do some self-promotion. Follow us on Instagram at sinistersisters.podcast. Yes. Um, on TikTok and YouTube at Sinister Sisters Podcast. You can email us at sinistersisterspod at gmail.com. And if you have a, a case request, you can email it to us. Or we have a case request form in our bios, descriptions, and everywhere else. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. The content warnings for this episode include murder, the death and abuse of elderly people, medical abuse, and suicide. So, Harold Shipman, Dr. Death, he's believed to have murdered 200 people. Jeez. In, um, in England, he was a general practitioner, and... Most of his patients were elderly women, but he was born the middle child into a working class family on January 14th, 1946. He was born as Harold Frederick Shipman, also known as Fred, and he was apparently the favorite child of his very domineering mother, Vera. She instilled in him an early sense of superiority that tainted most of his later relationships, leaving him an isolated adolescent with very few friends. Hmm. When his mother was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, he willingly oversaw her care as she declined, fascinated by the positive effect that the administration of morphine had on her suffering. That's foreshadowing. Until she succumbed to the disease on June 21st, 1963. Devastated by her death, he was determined to go to medical school, and he was admitted to Leeds University Medical School for training two years later, having failed his entrance exam the first time before serving an internship at the hospital. He met his future wife, Primrose, when he was 19, and they were married when she was only 17, and she was already five months pregnant with their first child, which was obviously such a scandal at this time. It was absolutely very, awful. Very scandalous. Mm -hmm. By 1974, he was a father of two and had joined a medical practice in Todd Morden in Yorkshire, where he initially thrived as a family practitioner before 
allegedly becoming addicted to the painkiller pethidine. He forged prescriptions for large amounts of the drug, and he was forced to leave the practice when caught by his medical colleagues in 1975, which time he entered a drug rehab program. In the subsequent inquiry, he received a small fine and a conviction for forgery. Basically, he would prescribe his patients pethidine, um, whether they needed it or not, and he would go and pick it up from the pharmacy for them, which I guess was a thing in the 1980s. Um, I mean, weird. And so... Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I don't know if, like, doctors... <clears throat> doctors don't do that now, but, like... Yeah. Just... He was over-prescribing it to his patients, so... He could take some and have it and be on drugs. As you do. As you do, as one does in their life. A few years later, Shipman was accepted onto the staff at Donnybrook Medical Center in Hyde, where he ingratiated himself as a hard-working doctor who enjoyed the trust of patients and colleagues alike, although he had a reputation for arrogance amongst junior staff. He remained on staff there for almost two decades, and his behavior incurred only minor interest from other healthcare professionals. Shipman continued working as a GP in Hyde throughout the 1980s and established his own surgery at 21 Market Street in 1993, becoming a respected member of the community. This is a thing that was changed after Dr. Harold Shipman. Um, he was, it was just him at this practice. He was a single, single doctor practice, and so he saw all of his patients there and no one, no other doctor was there to like, I don't know, look at what he was doing. So like supervise almost supervise or just kind of, I don't know, keep an ear out, see yeah. the patients as they were coming and going. Like nothing was, no one was overseeing his care. Also in the nineties, um, it was still very common for doctors to do house visits. So Dr. Harold Shipman found himself at patients' houses relatively often, which again just gave him another area that he could kill people in because where do you feel the most comfortable other than in your house? In March 1998, Linda Reynolds of the Brook Surgery in Hyde expressed concerns to John Pollard, who was the coroner for the South Manchester District, about the high death rate among Shipman's patients. In particular, she was concerned about the large number of cremation forms for elderly women that he had needed countersigned. Police were unable to find sufficient evidence to bring charges and close the investigation on the 17th of April. A few months later in August... Taxi driver John Shaw told the police that he suspected Shipman of murdering 21 patients. Shaw became suspicious as many of the elderly customers he took to the hospital, who seemed to be in very good health, died mysteriously in Shipman's care. Hiding behind his status as a caring family doctor, it was almost, or it is almost, impossible to establish exactly when Shipman began killing his patients, or indeed exactly how many had died at his hands, and his denial of all charges did nothing to assist the authorities. His killing spree was only brought to an end thanks to the determination of Angela Woodruff, the daughter of one of his victims, who refused to accept the explanations given for her mother's death. Her mother was called Kathleen Grundy and is Shipman's last victim. She was a former mayor of Hyde who was found dead at her home on 24 
on the 24th of June, 1998. She was an active, wealthy, 81-year-old widow, and he was the last person to see her alive. He also later signed her death certificate, recording the case of death as old age. Grundy's daughter, solicitor, Angela Woodruff, she was a lawyer, became concerned when fellow solicitor Brian Burgess informed her that a will had been made, apparently by her mother, but he had doubts about its authenticity. The will excluded Woodruff and her children, but left £386,000 to Dr. Harold Shipman. That's weird. At I guess when I was like looking into this, it's not uncommon for people to leave money in their will to doctors. Really? I don't think it's like allowed. I don't think the doctor is allowed to accept it. Um, but like if if they're old and this doctor's taking care of them, then I guess not all of it though, and you wouldn't exclude your daughter for it. No. No. Mm. Um, at Brian Burgess's urging, Angela went to the police, who began an investigation, and Grundy's body was exhumed and found to contain traces of diamorphine, which is heroin, um, which is often used for pain control in terminal cancer patients. Shipman claimed that Grundy had been an addict and showed them comments he had written to that effect in his computerized medical journal. However, police examination of his computer showed that the entries were written after her death. Police later established that Shipman would, in most cases, alter these medical notes directly after killing the patients to ensure that his account matched the historical records. What Shipman failed to understand was that each alteration of the records would be timestamped by the computer, enabling police to ascertain exactly which records had been altered. Following an extensive... Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, so, like, he had the foresight to cover his tracks, but not the foresight to learn how a computer works. Yeah. He had the foresight to cover his tracks, but not the foresight to cover his tracks before he needed to cover his tracks. Yeah. He did it after. Like, hello, Harold Shipman? Hello, doo-doo head? Doo-doo head? Following extensive investigations, which included numerous exhumations and autopsies, the police charged... Um, Harold Shipman with 15 individual counts of murder on September 7th in 1998, as well as one count of forgery. They could only do 15. Okay, so there was this thing that happened afterwards. It was called the Shipman Inquiry, and it basically was a bunch of smart people who got together and were like, why the fuck did this happen, and how can we prevent it happening again in the future? Makes sense. And so they think, based on, like, medical records and everything, you know, the the literature that they had available to them, that um, Harold Shipman killed about 218 people. However, a lot of those people, um, Harold Shipman was very well known for suggesting cremation over burial, and that was probably a whole um a whole thing it was what's that called a forensic countermeasure that was his forensic countermeasure because when you cremate a body there's like nothing left so they can't well there's ashes obviously but they can't um test like your blood because that's gone they can't take skin samples because that's gone they can't look at your hair because that's gone you know so like 
it's um if you can get it through so um here's how you commit a serial murder if you're going to kill people if you can get it through so that there's no autopsy done and also they are cremated that's a very good way to like cover your tracks yeah indeed but it's a lot harder said than done because most people have an autopsy and also don't be a serial killer yeah i mean that's step number one step one be a nice person yeah step two step two if you have to be a serial killer do these things Step three, if you're a serial killer and you've done these things, contact me. I would like a first-hand source for my podcast episode. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and we don't have the technology to do that blurring voice cancelling thing, so sucks to suck, I guess. Yeah, you'll just be outing yourself yeah. and damning yourself to the next 25 years in prison. But if you follow our advice... Help us get rich, man. <laughs> or lady. But probably mm. man. Probably man. Statistically, probably man. Probably man. Statistically, a white male in his early 20s to late 40s. Hello, every man in my life. Almost. <laughs> I know. Harold Shipman was arrested on the 7th of September in 1998 and was found to own a brother typewriter of the type used to make the forged will. For Kathleen Grundy. Prescription for Murder, a 2000s book written by journalists Brian Whittle and Jean Ritchie, suggested that Shipman forged the will either because he wanted to be caught, because his life was out of control, or because he planned to retire at 55 and leave the UK. The police investigated other deaths. Shipman had certified and investigated 15 specimen cases, They discovered a pattern of his administering lethal doses of diamorphine, signing patients' death certificates, and then falsifying medical records to indicate they died in poor health. Shipman's trial began at Preston Crown Court on the 5th of October in 1999. He was charged with the murders of 15 women by lethal injections of diamorphine, all between 1995 and 1998. Their names were Marie West, Irene Turner, Lizzie Adams, Jean Lilly, Ivy Lomas, Muriel Grimshaw, Marie Quinn, Kathleen Wagstaff, Bianca Pomfret, Pomfret, that's fun, Nora Nuttall, Pamela Hillier, Maureen Ward, Winifred Mellor, Joan Melia, and Kathleen Grundy. On the 31st of January, 2000, after six days of deliberation, the jury found Shipman guilty of 15 counts of murder and one count of forgery. The judge subsequently sentenced Shipman to life imprisonment on all 15 counts of murder with a, rem- with a recommendation that he be subject to a whole life tariff to be served concurrently with a sentence of four years for forging Grundy's will. A whole life tariff basically just means they don't have an end date to their um, imprisonment. It's life without parole essentially. On the 11th of February, which was 11 days after his conviction, Shipman was struck off the medical register by the General Medical Council, or the GMC. Two years later, Home Secretary David Blunkett confirmed the judge's whole life tariff, 
just months before British government ministers lost their power to set minimum terms for prisoners. While authorities could have brought many additional charges, they concluded that a fair hearing would be impossible in view of the enormous publicity surrounding the original trial. Furthermore, the 15 life sentences already imposed rendered further litigation unnecessary. Apparently, Shipman became friends with fellow serial killer Peter Moore while he was in prison. Shipman hanged himself in his cell at Her Majesty's Prison Wakefield at 6:20 a.m., having used bed sheets tied to the windows of his the windows bars of his cell on the 13th of January 2004, and he was 57. Some of the victims' families said they felt cheated, as Shipman's suicide meant they would never have the satisfaction of a confession, nor answers as to why he committed his crimes. Home Secretary David Blunkett admitted that celebrating was tempting, saying, quote, You wake up and you receive a call telling you Shipman has topped himself and you think, is it too early to open a bottle? And then you discover that everybody's a bit upset that he's done it. End quote. What an absurd quote. I'm sorry. That's the Home Secretary? That's a very yeah. inappropriate statement to make. I get the sentiment. I, th- I do. I get the I- sentiment. I th- I think it's very British. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Not schmoozy politician, but just like yeah, over the top, um, straightforward. Here's what we were all thinking, politician. <laughs> you receive a call telling you Shipman has topped himself. <laughs> um, Shipman's death divided national newspapers, with the Daily Mirror branding him a, quote, cold coward and condemning the prison service for allowing his suicide to happen. However... The Sun ran a celebratory front-page headline saying, quote, Ship, ship, hooray. The Independent. <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> that's, that is dank. That is really yeah. dank. <laughs> it's just funny. Um, the Independent called for the inquiry into Shipman's suicide to look more widely at the state of UK prisoners as well as the welfare of inmates. In The Guardian, an article by General Sir David Ramsbottom, who had formerly served as Her Majesty's Chief Inspector of Prisons, suggested that whole life sentencing be replaced by indefinite sentencing, for this would at least give prisoners the hope of eventual release and reduce the risk of their ending their own lives by suicide as well as making their management easier for prison officials. So the difference would be indefinite sentencing would mean that they would be life with parole, with the possibility of parole after like a certain amount of time, whereas a whole life tariff is literally just you are in here until you are dead of natural causes. Yeah. Or or suicidal causes, but they don't like hang you or execute you anymore, so. Yeah. Also, though, I will say like, I know that they try to obviously prevent suicide in prison that's not what they want but like yeah people who want to die are gonna find a way so i feel like even like you can't take all of prisoners things from them in case they might kill themselves you know like yeah you can't have them have beds with no sheets on them because someone hung themselves with them that's just that's just it happens and yeah. it, you know. In it. What is there to do about it? I don't know. I'm not a policeman or a prison man mm-hmm. or a prison anything, actually. No. 
don't know what happens in prisons. Never even actually. been to a prison, actually. One of my, like, biggest fears is being framed for murder and, like, going to prison for murder that I didn't commit because I'm not a murderer and then nobody believing me. Like, not, not even you and, like, the sinister squad not believing me. That's so random. It's so random. It's because I consume a lot of true crime. Um, but, like... If they put me in jail for murder, it's because I don't want to break the rules because I'm a good girl. Uh, here's what my therapist told me. <laughs> Not about you murdering people, but just in general. Is it uh, possible? Being framed for murdering people. Yes, yeah, sorry. Is it possible? Sure. Is it probable? No. So then you don't need to it's worry about popular. it. Also, I'm pretty sure... I mean, I guess this is a test of our seasterness, but if I told you that I was I was being framed for murder and that I didn't do it, would you believe me? Probably. Sinister mum and sinister dad, would you believe me? Comment on it. I feel like tell me. You're not you're not really that sort of person. The murderous type? Yeah. You ir- irrational, illogical, like Murderers generally are, like... A little bit more put together than me. No, a little bit less, like... Uh, oh. they, they just... They don't really think through, you know? The, I think the if I was to... The ripple effect. Yes. If you were like, I'm gonna murder this person, and then you were like, oh, but what about their mum, dad, sister, dog, friend, cat, partner... And then you'd be like, yeah. I can't do that. Just kidding. Um, if I was to ever cause the death of someone, I think it would be because they, like, were mean to someone that I personally care about. Like, I don't know. When um, I moved back to mom and dad's house, mm. I don't know how you didn't find cunt face McGee and kill him. Because if I'm... Skinny Boy did that shit, I'd find him and I'd snap his bones. Yeah. I'm not violent, really, at all, though. Like, if I think Karma's... If murder, I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'd be like, who? Who? <laughs> you think my sister murdered someone? <laughs> I think Karma is going to get that man. Yeah. And but a little snip snap of the bones would be fun too, right? I mean, yeah. But then I think about the consequences. And I... He's not worth me or you or anybody ruining the rest of their lives over. He's not worth it. Yeah, but I'd do it. Like, that's the difference. Yeah. Maybe not snip snap bones because I'm afraid of, um... Like, myself getting hurt. But I'd slash some fucking tires. You'd send a strongly worded email... Oh, yeah, I would. A text message. Fuck you, you fucking cunt. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways. In January of 2001, Chris Gregg, a senior West Yorkshire police detective, was selected to lead an investigation into 22 of the West Yorkshire deaths. Following this, the Shipman Inquiry submitted in July of 2000 
um, concluded that he had killed at least 218 of his patients between 1975 and 1998, during which time he practiced in Todmorden and Hyde. Dame Janet Smith, the judge who submitted the report, admitted that many more deaths of a suspicious nature could not be definitively ascribed to Shipman. Most of his victims were elderly women in good health. The GMC, so the like general medical people, charged six doctors who signed cremation forms for Shipman's victims with misconduct, claiming they should have noticed the pattern between Shipman's home visits and his patients' deaths. All of the doctors were found not guilty. In October 2005, a similar hearing was held against two doctors who worked at Tameside General Hospital in 1994, who failed to detect that Shipman had deliberately administered a grossly excessive dose of morphine. The Shipman case and a series of recommendations in the Shipman Inquiry report led to changes to medical to standard medical procedure in the UK, which has been referred to now as the Shipman effect. Many doctors reported changes in their dispensing practices and a reluctance to risk over-prescribing pain medication, and that lay have, that may have led to under-prescribing. Death certification practices were altered as well. Perhaps the largest change was the movement from single doctor general practices to multiple doctor general practices. This was not a direct recommendation, but rather because the report stated that there was not enough safeguarding and monitoring of doctors' decisions. The forms needed for a cremation in England and Wales have had their questions altered as a direct result of the Shipman case. For example, the persons, the people organising the funeral must answer do you know or suspect the death of the person who has died was violent or unnatural? And do you consider that there should be any further examination of the remains of the person who has died? Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. This guy was just going into people's houses and killing them. Like, for the heck of it. What does that sound? Um... It's a wind chime, a bamboo one. Oh. That's okay, then. I, I, I didn't know you'd be able to hear it. I thought you were, like, swirling a metal spoon around. And I was... No, it's a wind chime. I thought you were going to tell the story about that other doctor who, like... I think that's like maybe, I don't think it's podcast, but it's one of those other like really big podcast networks that do really high production, like dramatized stories. Yeah. And Medical Murders. No, it was like a six or seven part like series. I'm pretty sure it was called Doctor Death. Um, But anyway, let me see if I can find it. It was about like a doctor who was just so absurdly negligent. And causes the death of, like, so many people. Like, he frequently left, um, like, sponges inside people. yeah. He, um, like, paralyzed one of his best friends in a surgery. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's called Dr. Death. It's Um, one dream. It's, but what's the doctor's name? Uh, Christopher Dunch. Yes, Christopher Dunch. 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 Dunch.
Christopher. Christopher. Yeah, because he did, like, he worked at a spinal clinic or something like that, hey? Yeah, he was a neurologist, I think. Yeah, and he had, like, a drug addiction. And, like... Yeah. Something No actual, like, spinal medical training or something like that. But he was, like, some other kind of doctor that... Yeah, I can't remember. Oh, and he but it was had a really medical good. startup. Yeah, he had a medical startup, and it he was fired from it because of drug use. Mm, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. That, so that's a good dunch. recommendation if you're wanting some additional medical murder in here. There's apparently a season two. Mm. A different doctor. Which doctor? Uh, doctor Fatter. Except I've never heard of that one. It's been moved onto Amazon Music. And that's a scam. It's a scam. <sighs> Anyways, anyway. that's it for my episode this yeah. week. If you enjoyed it, please let me know somehow. You can thumbs up the video if you're watching it on YouTube. You can rate the podcast five stars if you haven't already on your podcast directory. Of choice. You can DM us on Instagram and tell us how talented and beautiful we are <laughs> um, you can you check can... out my etsy store linked down below and buy some things yeah. from me yeah we should put sinister sisters merch in there we should but i don't we need to we're like working on a bit of a redesign of like the logo and stuff and so that i feel like needs to be yeah. straightened out first yeah so i want it to be bruh i like bruh Cut it out. No, don't cut it out. Put um a like a thingy over me so you can't actually hear what I'm saying. Uh, It'll stay. It'll stay unknown until we unknown. decide to tell you. I feel like maybe that will come with our one year anniversary, which is in a few months. Is it? Yeah. End of August, I believe. Holy fuck not. Yeah. I know. I think August 30th we posted the first episode. So. Man. Comment. Tell us somehow if you listened to that episode when it first came out. Yeah. It was on Elizabeth Bathory, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The Blood Countess of somewhere. Draculaville. Hungary? Transylvania? Transylvania. Hungary? Hungary. Mm, somewhere over there. Somewhere. Anyway, cool. thanks for listening. Bye. See you next week. Bye. Bye.